Jesus, we bless you and praise you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together in your name as your people. God, open our hearts and our eyes to you today. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Well, I hope you have already experienced some Mary in your Christmas. And if you haven't, I'm hopeful by the end of our service today that you will. I, I really do. I believe it's entirely impossible to comprehend what God accomplished on Christmas and not have joy in your heart. It's just impossible. Through his amazing grace, uh, we are saved. Everything that could deter us from his plan and praise God for it. Uh, Christmas gifts are supposed to bring joy. Hopefully they will. Do you guys get the right gifts? All the men here are a little bit nervous. <laughs> They're hoping we have. Um, we think that gifts, gift giving on Christmas began with uh, the wise men. And uh, maybe from a worldly standpoint, that would be true when they brought those gifts to Jesus. But I think as people of faith, we know it started a little bit farther back than that. Probably the most famous Bible verse of all time, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is the giver of good gifts, and we are the ones who are blessed by it. I want to start by just telling you a story. I was reading through several uh, illustrations, sermon illustrations, Christmas Illustrations. I love the Christmas season, so I love preparing a Christmas message. Now, just looking through a, a long list of, of illustrations, and I read by this one and thought, oh, that was odd. I didn't get it, bottom line. And it was a while later after I was reading, like, oh, that's it. That is the perfect illustration. And let's, well, let, let's, I'll just read it and see if you get it. Uh, it is a story, I believe it's a true story of Carl, a good Christian dad who decided that this Christmas and his family was going to be different. It was going to be better. Apparently last year they had, you know, went all out and spent maybe too much on Christmas presents. And in spite of that, he felt like there was a little bit too much strife and fighting in their home. I know that never happens in your home, but apparently in Carl's home it did. And he had a plan. He was going to call a family meeting and this Christmas was going to be different. So he got the family together. By the way, any parents ever call a family meeting before? And How'd it go for you? So he got the family together and started his, he had a great speech prepared, talked about how they were going to be more disciplined this year. Christmas is a busy season, so this year we're going to manage our time better. And really, he got into, you know, the main point is that, hey, Jesus commanded us to love one another. So this year, we are going to love one another. We're not going to max out our credit cards. We're going to make it, we're going to just make love the focus and love each other. We're even going to love our relatives. Apparently, last year, some relatives came over who weren't the family's favorite or the kid's favorite anyways. And we're even going to love them. And he brought his family speech to a crescendo with this line. Let's make this the best Christmas ever. Will you say that phrase? Say, best Christmas ever. Do you get it? I didn't. I read that and I thought, okay, that's all right. I guess that's a good little family speech there. And I just, just went on and it wasn't, it, 
it wasn't until a little while later that I realized, oh, that's the point. That's the point. He, he, the point, and, and by the way, you're probably not getting it yet, is what Carl did, what is, is what is so common, and that is to just kind of move on from the Bible's real message of Christmas. See, the Bible has a little bit different message, and the message, it is quite repetitive, actually. The Bible tells one story. The old, entire Old Testament is set up, according to Romans, the entire Old Testament is set up to show us that God set up this thing called the law. It's a, it's a ladder of just how human beings can, hey, we can fit all your problems are fixed at the top of this ladder, how you can do it. And for a few thousand years, we human beings proved that nobody could do it. Moses gave it a whale of a crack, and even he couldn't climb the ladder. And after a few thousand years of nobody being able to climb it, God actually expects us to get it. He actually expects us to understand and appreciate what Christmas is, and Christmas is God saying, you can't get up here, I'm coming down there. And the New Testament has this message that even those who have faith in Jesus tend to move beyond that, to tend to kind of think they've got that, and then move beyond. And that was Carl's message, that was Carl's mistake, was he really just had a plan of their disciplines of how they were going to make it the best Christmas ever. Who thinks probably, potentially, the Christmas where Jesus actually showed up? That was probably the best Christmas ever. Do you think probably? Uh, do you think anything that we're going to do is probably fall a little bit short of God actually coming to the earth? Probably. And it seems so harmless. And I remember thinking as years ago, I was reading through the New Testament, I'm like, gosh, this is why is this theme so repetitive? I guess 2,000 years ago, human beings had the problem of just kind of thinking that they got the grace gospel, they got the gospel, and, and they just kind of had a problem with moving on, thinking that, okay, they can take it from here, but, but we don't do that anymore. And then I realized it was only three years ago that I preached a series called The Best Christmas Ever, and it was basically Carl's plan. Yeah, we move on, or we think we do. I want to just read. I'm just going to read you one passage out of the New Testament. By the way, my series had a had the Gospel of Christ in there, but man, it's easy to miss this and to to take second things. Everything, by the way, everything Carl said. Let's be loving towards each other. Is that a good idea? But that is following the command. See, that's the second thing. The first thing is always God's initiation. He's always first, and all of the other things, the, the things that we do are a response to that. Those are second things. And you know what the Bible calls it? When you take a second thing and make it the first thing, the Bible calls it idolatry. We call it Christianity. The Bible calls it idolatry. I'm going to read to you from Galatians. Here's just one place of many where this theme is repeated. And I'm reading it to you from the message translation. And it says, let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? This thing called salvation. He's, he's writing to Christian people. They believe in Jesus. He said, how did this, this thing called salvation in your life, how did it begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Friends, it's subtle, 
but it's always this way. God is always the initiator. Notice this phrase, by responding to God's message to you. Jesus is the living word, and the word came down. And still today, it's God's word that comes to us. Why do we read our Bibles? Why do we gather together? Because we're here to hear his word that's coming through. That is Christ coming to us, and we respond to God's message to us. Those were all second things, and those are all wonderful, but we can't replace this. We're, God is always out front. He's always the initiator. And that is the message of Christmas. You can't do it on your own. It's not just going to be your efforts. It's not going to be your family speeches. By the way, nothing wrong with a family meeting and talking about loving each other, but he should have started maybe with a little bit of a prayer. Jesus, I'm about to have a family meeting. Save this meeting. If you've ever had a family meeting, you know you need some help, right? But that isn't where he started. It was just with us. And we want to be practical, don't we? Of course we want to be practical. Well, let's just keep reading. And what God calls practical is a little different than what we think. Are, are you going to continue in this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God right there contains a lot of our thinking. All right, Jesus, thank you. You gave me a good start. Good job. Now it's my turn. Wrong. Only a crazy person could think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? It is not yet a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. The verse before I started reading, he called them foolish, foolish Galatians. What were these people doing that was so crazy? Were they having keggers at church? Is that what they were doing? No, they were just following Carl's plan. Good people. They, they, they kind of felt like, okay, we got it. Jesus, Jesus saved us. Now let's, let's get to the work. And they lost the ability to keep first things first. They started relying on their own efforts. And they quit relying on grace. They quit relying on Christ. They quit realizing that every day is a new day and I need strength today. As, as preachers often do, we want to make it practical, right? We want to give you things that can help you, so we'll teach you how to balance your checkbook, right? Something really practical. Friends, there is nothing, there's not a close second. There's nothing even close to as practical as receiving grace to do all the things we need to do in life. The grace to love your family, now that's practical. The grace to find the strength to do your work. The grace to find joy in this crazy world, that is practical. The spirit of the living God here now strengthening you to do all those things that you need to do, that is practical. And there's not a close second, but we tend to move on and think that, yeah, just me working on these other things, that that is the message. It is not the message. What the message is, Jesus didn't just come to save us one time. It's fresh every day. Every day, I need to be saved. Jesus, save me today. Jesus, help me today. Give me your grace today. I need your grace to overcome. We think Jesus just came to be our example. 
Oh, that's how you climb the ladder. Follow me. Yes, we do follow him by his grace. By his grace. He didn't come to be our example. He came to be our savior. Who knows there's a difference? One is just showing you how to do it. The other is picking you up and carrying you, strengthening you to do it. There's a difference. And that is grace. That is the gospel. That is why Jesus came. That is why we celebrate Christmas. That is why there's joy. Anybody glad it does not all hang on you? Anybody glad that you're going to stand before God one day and it's not all going to hang on you? There was somebody who came and paid a price for you. So endeavoring to be practical, I was just thinking through this. I'm like, every year we try to be practical. You know, how do you, but how do you, how do you get to the point where people can really apply this? So I thought, let's be as practical as we possibly can. If we just, what you just heard in Galatians is how we today open that gift. We respond to God's message to us. Jesus is the living word. His word comes to us. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read three different passages. One from the Psalms. Psalms are the, is the prayer book of your Bible. One from the prophets. And one from the New Testament. And I'm just going to pause. I'm going to ask you to open the gift just to respond. This might be new to you, but that should be your life of just responding to God, responding to his word. If this is new to you, well, let's give you a little coaching. I'm going to read a little section of Psalms 139, and then I will respond. Lord, you have examined my heart. This is a prayer recorded in your Bible. If it's recorded in your Bible, it's because God wants you to pray it. Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me, and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing upon my head. Now, if I were to respond to that, what would I do? How about just make it this simple? Just thank him for what he just said. He just told you that he's placed his hand of blessing on your head. There's nothing more practical than having the hand of God on your life. And through faith in Christ, that is exactly what we receive. So what do I do? I pray. I just stop and I say, God, thank you. I don't just read it like I'm reading a newspaper. I stop and I, I thank him. Lord, thank you. You have placed your hand on my head. Lord, I'm going to be blessed today, not because I'm smart and strong, I'm going to be blessed because your grace is sufficient. Your hand is upon me. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read another section, Psalms 139. I'm going to ask you to pray. So here's what I'm going to do. Normally when I pray, it helps to close your eyes so you're not distracted by the things of the world. Would you do that? Just close your eyes right now. I'm going to read a section of this psalm, and then you simply respond. If you're, if you're listening as the word is read, God's spirit will strike you with something that you just heard and simply respond. Simply thank him for that. It's called opening the gift. The psalm says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning and dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, 
Your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Just open the gift. Jesus, thank you for your hand that guides and supports. I'm going to need that today. Here's the you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Just respond to him right now. Lord, thank you that you are leading us on the path towards everlasting life. We're already on that path. If we've opened our hearts to you, that life, that new life, eternal life, it's already begun. We're already, and we're being led and guided by you every moment. We're never alone. Lord, thank you. I'm going to read to you from a prophet now, Isaiah. Again, just... The scripture teaches us to meditate on his word and then respond. So meditating is just, it's really, it's hearing it. It's going through it in your own heart. Hear this word to you. Listen. Isaiah reports, listen to the Lord who created you. Listen to the God who formed you. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Respond to him. Jesus, you have called us by name. The only possibility, Lord, of us knowing your name, of your name having any power, is because you are named first. You have revealed yourself. Lord, thank you. I'm going to continue reading in this same passage. God says to you, when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Do not be afraid. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Open that. From the New Testament now. Romans chapter 8 says this, If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Friends, he's just told you that he has given his own blood, his own life. He will withhold nothing. He might withhold things you think you want, but he would never withhold anything you're going to need to do his will for your life. 
Would you just stop and just respond to that? Open that gift. Lord, thank you. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? By the way, that would include you and your own failings. Nothing. Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Receive that and open that gift. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Here's the final section. For nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death or life, angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Is it not good news that our own sin, our own worries are not separating us? Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Open that gift. Father, the true marvel of the Christian faith, Lord, is the fact that you, you came down here to pay that price. You became one of us, Lord, not just to be our example, but to pay the price, to pay the debt that we could not pay. And Lord, help us every day to celebrate every day to open the gift of salvation, every day. Lord, we have joy because we know that nothing can separate us from this grace, from your grace, from your spirit, from your love that simply cannot fail. You received a communion cup on the way in. I hope that you will pull, take that out right now and just take the bread out and hold on to it. Lord, as we hold this bread, we remember that our eternal salvation is not the product of our goodness. It's not a scale up there where you 
weighed our good against our bad. Lord, you've weighed our bad against your good. Jesus. And Jesus always wins. Lord Jesus, remember that it's your sacrifice. That's why we take this bread. This bread represents your body, which was beaten and broken for us. And it's by your wounds that we are healed and whole. We'll never forget about you. You as we receive this bread, we remember and we thank you for our wholeness because of your wounds. Let's receive the bread together. Scripture says, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you take it, remember. Jesus, we remember your sacrifice. This cup represents your blood spilled for us. Lord, every one of us have sinned, and God is just. There's no such thing as an unpunished sin. Lord, we will either step out in eternity on our own good deeds or we will trust you. Lord, we choose to trust you. Jesus, this sacrifice is enough. As we receive this cup, we remember we are thankful for your blood sacrificed for us. Let's receive the cup together.